Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Spilling Royalty with Sean Mandel. So, Maggie. Sean. Did you see a recent episode of South Park that may have involved Megan and Harry? I know you watch the show religiously. Uh, Right. I haven't actually seen South Park in like over a decade, but Mm. in the past few weeks, it could not have been avoided. It could not have been avoided, certainly for the general public, but even more so for us, in case you have avoided it somehow, <laughs> um, Megan and Harry were the subject of uh, an entire episode of South That's Park. That's right. Being yep. lampooned. It, it truly was. It was the most unflattering portrait, and it raised a lot of questions, which we'll tackle this week. But for those who didn't pop over and watch the episode, uh, what happens? So Megan and Harry are... First of all, they're very careful. South Park is very careful about not calling them Megan and Harry. They call them the prince and his wife. And it's not the, it starts with the queen of Canada's death. Yeah. So all of this is set in Canada, not England. Exactly. But I mean, but interestingly, Canada is part of the British Commonwealth. So the queen was the queen of Canada, technically. And very early on, you know, here comes the prince and his wife and everybody is all upset at the, you know, at the church that they're there. And what some Earl goes and farts in uh, (laughs) Megan's face. And then from there they go on uh, this worldwide privacy tour. And they go about uh, holding these picket signs, shouting from everywhere from, uh, you know, the streets of Mumbai to the deserts of the the wild outback, <laughs> holding picket signs saying, we want privacy, we want privacy. <laughs> and it went on a journey of Kyle being forced to live across the street from Megan and Harry, who decide to come to South Park to really prove to people that they're, you know, they're moving to the small town that they really do want their privacy. Meanwhile, they land their jet in the middle of the street. They set off fireworks at their house. And then as soon as Kyle like comes up, like leans out the window saying, hey, guys, keep it down. They're like, how dare you? We want our privacy. And <laughs> that was a really good impersonation. Thank you. I wasn't planning on doing that, but it just, you know, here yeah. we are. Here we are, um, improv. So it, it was really, uh, <laughs> and then all the way along, there were some pretty, uh, again, brutal jokes about, for example, the story uh, from Her- Harry's memoir, Spare, about his frostbitten Todger. Uh, there's, I, I won't fully recount uh, that, uh, you know, that whole story, but, uh, you know, you can go and watch it. And all I can say is that it's blue and it's rubbed against a window and I'll just leave it there. Uh, yeah. And it, there's some really big digs at Megan too, particularly how the episode ends where Harry basically realizes that 
the he actually does want privacy and Megan doesn't. And Megan is kind of the actress influencer, uh, Instagram obsessed woman leading him astray. And when he decides that he wants to actually go and have the life of privacy that, you know, he says he does, uh, he he looks inside like literally looks inside megan like opens her like head up and sees that there's nothing inside and he kind of goes off into the sunset uh by himself so mm. you know that uh, that was i think the thing that really stuck with me the most yeah. because you know up until there it was i mean you know it's 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 brutal but that was i think the most brutal. yeah this this wasn't just an unflattering portrait this was absolutely scathing and i think it put a finger on something that we want to talk about this week yeah. on the pod which is the public's reaction to megan and harry's documentary and harry's memoir spare um because there's clearly um a lot of criticism over how much they have been speaking mm -hmm. recently and simultaneously asking for privacy well, and that the whole question of privacy is also a a really fraught one, right? Because people have really analyzed their statements and their articles about this, uh, you know, saying that Harry and Meghan have never explicitly said the words they want privacy, like we want privacy. And so there are people who are saying, well, they never actually said that. But actually, recently, and we'll get into this as well, there was a lawsuit where Prince Harry is once again going after the media, suing a media organization, and his lawyers provided a statement saying Prince Harry values his privacy. And that actually is the first time we've kind of had that in such explicit wording uh, to date. And that also ties into something we want to talk about this week is uh, Harry and Meghan's litigiousness, because there were stories about whether or not Harry and Meghan were going to sue over their this depiction of them in South Park because that uh, that lawsuit that I actually just mentioned about which we'll get into it that was about defamation so they're not afraid to sue on the on the grounds of defamation uh, and so the question was naturally raised will they sue over over this episode and they've said that they a spokesman for them has said that they are not going to but it, it makes I think it provides an interesting moment for us to look into. Uh, what they have sued over, uh, how they approach their, you know, uh, legal fights, uh, which are almost exclusively with the media, and how that's going to hang over, or is it going to, you know, cast a cloud, ca you know, cast a pall over the run-up to King Charles's coronation? So much tea to spill. So much. I think I had to get a second kettle. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Let's do it. This is Spilling Royalty, a podcast that follows the piping hot stories of the British royal family from London to Montecito, all the way to the upcoming coronation of King Charles. I'm Sean Mandel, a producer, pop culture devotee, and part-time royal correspondent. And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, the show's producer, Sean's biggest fan, and his occasional sidekick. In each episode, we will spill the tea. That's American for gossip. On the latest stories about the heir, the spare, and their kin. Tea will be served with some cultural context and history from across the pond that you can't go without. So without further ado, let's spill the royal tea. 
So in this episode of Spilling Royal Tea, we're going to be looking at how public opinion of Meghan and Harry has shifted. And I think it's safe to say that it has quite considerably uh, since they've released their Netflix docuseries and since Harry released his memoir, Spare, and subsequently went on his... <laughs> Not privacy tour, but a media tour to uh, support the launch of that book. Yeah. So we know what we've been thinking about them because we're texting nonstop. But, you know, it's one thing to pull your friends and it's another to pull the country. What are like the proverbial tea leaves or cultural touchstones that give us an indication of where people's opinions are at? I think that, you know, we started with South Park, right? Like we started talking about their depiction in this episode, this recent episode of South Park. And I think that's a good place to start, right? Yes. This conversation. In this distinguished uh, cultural podcast. Right. On 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 the Royals, like kind of maybe lanes and probably more. But off the top of my head, I think of two that was being brought up in that interview. So people are tuning into it. You know, we could say maybe apples to apples right. just as much as they were to the Oprah interview, right? But after the Oprah interview, there was this outpouring of, I think, except in, I think I'd say, except in Britain, um, mm -hmm. at least, you know, among younger Britons, there was an outpouring of support. We can also dive into to those numbers. And that's an interesting point as well, because they've been on, they've uh, not been popular in Britain for a long time, you know, really since they left uh, their role as senior working royals. And we could break down, as I said, the demographics, but they've enjoyed a large swath of support in the US. And so you have things like South Park, but you also have, for example, Jimmy Kimmel doing a sketch on his late night show, making fun of what is really actually, you know, <laughs> if you on the face of it, a serious incident about assault, which is that Harry talks about his brother. Uh, this is in his memoir. He talks about his brother, Prince William, pushing him, like shoving him to the ground in a physical fight over Meghan. Like it was over William's feelings about Meghan and him not liking her and him thinking she was difficult and making, you know, life awful for their staff members. And he pushed Harry to the ground, according to Harry, and he landed on their dog's like, you know, water bowl or something. Ceramic dog bowl. And it scraped his back. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Kimmel goes and does this sketch called Two Princes, reenacting this event. And to, <laughs> to do that, he has two prints, the artist, the artist formerly known as Prince, impersonators play William and Harry and make it into a complete mockery. Right. Right. And this is something you wouldn't have seen a year ago. It would have been unheard of. Yeah. So we've seen this on Jimmy Kimmel. We've seen the South Park episode. And it's important to state, you know, you always have, if, listen, if people in the U.S. have learned anything, I think from the last, I don't know, six years or so, is that you got to look at which polls you got to look at when you're looking at polls, you got to figure out like, you know, what poll it is. And so this poll came from, from Newsweek. Uh, you know, it's a, this is a respected organization that they partnered with as well uh, for this poll. So this isn't uh, some, this isn't a survey, although survey, I was going to say this isn't a survey among people, but now survey monkey partners with NBC to do serious ones. But, you know, in other words, it's not a click on It's not on an line. Instagram poll. <laughs> it's not an Instagram poll. It's not like, you know, something, it's not voting for American Idol. 
right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's a first, it's a valid first thing to think, okay, you know, if people, if, if they have net negative opinion, why are all these people watching uh, the docuseries and, uh, you know, reading the book? And I think the answer is car crash. You can't turn away. Mm. Um, and his friends are like, why do you care? And Kyle says, I don't care. <laughs> and then his friends are like, well, you talk a lot about them uh, for a person who says, like, you don't care about yeah. them. Right. Um, and I so think... I think that actually gets at uh, a subset of Americans who don't want to care about the royals or any of these stories, but they are like blasted in every headline across every tabloid. Like you cannot look away. And especially with Spare, right, because of the way that that story came out in a drip, 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 right? Like there well, was, leaked. right, exactly. But uh, so every day for, you know, in the days leading up to the release of Spare, there was a new tidbit, a new salacious part of the of the book being put out in, in the media. There, if you were a consumer of popular media, there's no way you missed at least some of those stories. So a lot of people, to your point, I think a lot of people who were just sort of on the sidelines or weren't really paying attention or didn't care about them, genuinely couldn't get away from them, you know, in their daily lives and daily consumption of media. And so I think that that, I mean, I would have to imagine that that annoyed some people who did they're like, I don't care about you. I don't want you in <laughs> I don't want you up in in my proverbial. Yeah. The other thing that we see in a lot of these cultural touchstone moments that we're yeah. looking at is a, a consistent mockery of the woes of Meghan and Harry, whether it be their desire for greater privacy, whether it be uh, just recognition of how hard Harry has had it, how deeply he has grieved the loss of his mother, um, how difficult it has been being a spare or the relationship with William, I think very legitimate, um, you know, personal reflections that he's given us in spare have become the subject of mockery. The question I think this raises is, is there a world in which a prince can complain and not be accused of whining? I think the answer is yes. And I think the lanes of where a prince can complain and still receive a majority of support. Um, and again, this is among U.S. Like this is we're talking about U.S. people, uh, you know, people in the U.S. because people in Britain have for, you know, for a long time, like even with the Oprah interview, didn't, you know, really support them. Um, but after the Oprah interview, they raised some very serious grievances that would affect anyone and would be horrific to anyone no matter their level of you know socioeconomic status right. and that again that was uh racism and that's something that i think that people say i don't care if you're if you're rich that's awful and nobody deserves that right right and there was and this idea of suicide and the idea of depression and that harry has had you know, the trauma of losing his mother in mm -hmm. the way that he any any young boy losing their mother, but to lose his mother, who is the most famous woman in the world, most photographed woman in the world, having to march behind her coffin in a funeral watched by billions of people, you know, the, the 
level of that trauma and then existing in a family that from all from what we can tell didn't offer support uh in the way that many people i think today would say you know he probably needed or anyone would need right. uh, in in those circumstances and so those i things i think are areas where people can say yeah like i get it i think the other lane where people seem to be saying that a prince shouldn't complain is about uh is about privilege and about money i think that you privacy know, i think gets into this as well people assume that because he has so much privilege and money that he might not be owed the same privacy as a regular person it's a really tricky question right mm. because you i think the common layperson or there is a view among maybe you know civil a certain sector of civilians who would just say okay you don't want this intrusion into your life anymore go away right like just don't don't write a book don't make a docu-series like just go and live a private life the other thing that i think people are seeing here is just how much money megan and harry are making off the netflix docu-series and spare um do we have a sense john of, of just how much money they're making Again, we don't know for sure because, you know, they have this deal with Netflix. They have a deal. Uh, Megan and Harry both have a deal with, uh, and their Archwell Studios has a deal with Spotify. Megan has her podcast with Spotify. We only have reports, but it seems to be, you know, the Netflix deal was reported alone at $100 million. Um, so we're, we're over the $100 million mark. And now you have the book, which is a number one New York Times bestseller, like in a huge, huge way, not just like in a you know, small way. Like it, it, it really did yeah. huge numbers. And this is such a thing that we see among celebrities of every stripe and color where it's like the moment you get really successful and start making oodles of money, people mm -hmm. feel more entitled to criticize you and your yeah. work. Right. And oh, yeah. as though it, that's the trade-off. So yeah, I think that it's fair to say that that the amount of money that is generated by these two works recently could have contributed to the negative public opinion or the shift, think, at least, in opinion. I think so, because, you know, they are, you know, previously they've wanted their efforts and all royals really want their efforts to be like uh, their philanthropic efforts to be front and center. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen because people mm -hmm. love a soap opera, but we occasionally people love the drama. But even when it does, like when it's been, when when those philanthropic efforts have been uh, the most covered, it's been because there actually has been a little bit of drama behind it, right? Like Princess Diana, you know, uh, shaking the hand of an AIDS patient, like without gloves in mm. the early 90s. And that being something that royals like didn't do. Um, mm. So that's really when uh, a lot of their philanthropic causes have gotten attention. But to bring that to money, it's it's it now becomes kind of tawdry because in a lot in some people's minds i think because as soon as you're making a buck off of what you're saying and on saying something that is salacious on saying on selling a story that's interesting then the question is are you reliable or if you're making money off of this are you a reliable narrator and I don't think that people are saying like, oh, everything is a falsehood, you know, but I just think it is this thing that plants in the back of some people's minds of, I don't quite 
like this. I don't. Or it's not as pure as we want. It's not as pure because it's not like they're donating the money to, uh, you know, to their philanthropic causes. Now, the thing that Harry, I think, would say, and he talks about this in his book, is that there is a reason why he has to make so much money. And that's because he has never been allowed to make his own money his entire life. He does, however, have a significant, uh, you know, multi-million dollar inheritance from his mother, uh, Princess Diana, because when she died, she had just, it was only a year after she got her divorce settlement from Prince Charles, which is around, uh, you know, 14 million at the time so that money wasn't ever touched and it was in a trust you know like left in a trust for him to get when uh he uh, came of age i think it was 30 years old uh when he finally got to touch that money so he had some money but he talks about in the book in spare that his when he started researching security firms because he lost his security when he stepped away from the royal family so he had to provide which was you know funded by the taxpayer in the uk and given to him by nature of his status as a, a member of the monarchy, right? Like the official uh, monarchy, but now he wasn't. So he did all this research and it was about $6 million a year is what he calculated uh, for what it would cost for him to have a security. So, mm -hmm. so one could would... argue that the Netflix deal and the memoir were all in the service of really not only sustaining their life, but their but of having security. Yes. I think then the counterpoint to that, if you're looking at it, would be, okay, uh, if we're in the hundreds of millions of dollars, you have a $14 million mansion in Montecito. You've inherited, like Megan had, you know, not an insignificant amount of money from her time at Suits and having her her blog, The Tig. And she even had, uh, you know, a clothing line with a Canadian retailer uh, before she, you know, ma married into the royal family. People might start to, you know, I think people are going to say, okay, well, the math isn't mathing. Like you have, <laughs> you, you have, if it's $6 million a year, you have a hundred, let's say you have $150 million or something like that. If you have $150 million, you put it in a, put it in a CD, it's going to do something. Right. And uh, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that that is the right way to view it, but I think right. that some people it are going to, it is a way to view it. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of other things, you know, their legal fees, for example, right? I mean, like you can make that argument as well. Like they're they're fighting this good fight in their mind to take on the press and take on defamation and take on, uh, you know, what they see as unfair treatment. Uh, and not just for them, but for the little guy who, you know, may be caught up in a big story, but doesn't have to, big news story, but doesn't have the capability, the, you know, the means to fight back against a giant news organization. So you could say, well, that costs money. Um, but we don't, you know, we, we don't have a look at their balance sheet, really. Uh, but it, I do think that, you know, when money enters into the equation, there's always going to be people who cry foul of privilege um, and saying, why are you doing this? We're going to take a quick ad break. When we return, we'll talk about how Meghan and Harry's lawsuits have affected public opinion. Stay with us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. So uh, right before the break, we were just talking about money and Harry and Meghan uh, as it pertains to their popularity, which has plummeted recently. And we were talking about how their finances may be impacted by their legal cases, of which they have many because they need to fund these legal cases against the media. and. As I said, they've had quite a few since they've, uh, you know, since they've stepped down from the royal family, but also even while they were full time working royals. Yeah. And there's a lot of speculation that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex might sue for the South Park episode that we referenced at the start. And, and they aren't, we should say <laughs> they are not. Um, but it's a, it, I think it was a fair question, you know, to ask because they have sued 10 times in like had 10 major lawsuits against media companies organizations in the last three years which is not insignificant um yeah. and they've had some victories to be clear so it's south park did have a disclaimer like a really funny disclaimer at the beginning of uh, the episode which i i just wonder like what their lawyers thought of like when when they read it and i would have loved to be you know in that standards <laughs> and protocol meeting uh when they pitched the, this for an episode but they they have said they're not going to sue yeah i think that their rep said that the whole south park episode or maybe the notion of them suing was just baseless nonsense Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they had said we are. Yeah. And lawsuits in three years. What are some of the big ones? The big ones, I think uh, we want to start off with the, the one that kicked it all off, which was their uh, their lawsuit against uh, a media organization that includes, for example, the Daily Mail. Uh, it's a conglomerate media organization, and that was over uh, the Daily Mail publishing the letter that Megan wrote to her father, Thomas Markle, uh, as asking him to stop talking to the press. Uh, full disclaimer, I was the first person that he talked to, so um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, yeah. So she wrote this letter to her father asking him on the advice on the advice according to harry of the queen and prince charles that you know they were suggesting that she should write this letter to him to ask him to stop right to stop talking to news organizations just so he could get out of the headlines because it wasn't good for the royal family so she wrote this letter and this letter was then uh sold by or at least given by thomas merkel to the daily mail to publish they said it was an invasion of their privacy they made this lawsuit in October of 2019 when they were still part of the royal family. They were still working you know, as, as official members, right, of the royal family. Yeah. Uh, they had just had this very successful tour of South Africa. Um, and, and I believe they were advised by Charles not to sue initially. They were. Right? They were advised not to sue. And Harry has kind of said... Uh, 
you know, his clapback to that was, well, dad, you sued the media. Um, Will, William, like my brother, you sued the media, uh, for example, over, you know, topless uh, nude photos of Kate, uh, of his wife, Kate, uh, you know, the, now the Princess of Wales uh uh in in certain uh media outlets and certain tabloids and so his he felt uh that he was being treated like they were having different treatment different standards and the official lawyers for the royal family were not the ones who filed the lawsuit because the royal family wouldn't they obtained their own private counsel and thus began this journey of them you know, taking the media to task, him calling it, uh, Harry calling it bullying. He released a statement because it was Megan who technic who filed the first suit on her own because she was the one whose letter it was. And, she, you know, it was an invasion of her privacy, she argued. Yeah. And she won, she won that case, by the way. Right. Um, and then, you know, we have other cases along the way. For example, uh, Megan and Harry suing a, uh, a paparazzi uh, photo agency who took pictures of baby Archie and they won that case as well. And they had to issue an apology to Megan and Harry and they had to destroy the photos so that the photos couldn't be, uh, you know, published anywhere else. Um, and then I think another one that's kind of flown under the radar, uh, but is more recent is that Harry has, you know, a, Tying back to the security question, Harry has always felt that he should, by virtue of him being born a prince and automatically then uh, having security threats against his life that were mm -hmm. nothing of his making just by him simply existing, he feels that the UK government should, uh, if not provide him the security, that he should at least be allowed to pay the cost of that of that security from the British government because it involves police, right? It's not a private security firm. It's uh, it's a higher uh, you know level of security that you're going to mm -hmm. get. And the the Home Office, which is this uh, you know for American listeners, it's um, the uh, it's equivalent to a federal agency, you know, here in the U.S. Uh, they decided that you know Harry's request to himself pay the cost of whatever it was for the UK government's official security bill, they would say, no, you can't do that. We can't provide you security. Even if you want to pay for it, you have to do it all yourself. He sued over that. The uh, A judge ruled that that lawsuit could go forward. The Daily Mail <laughs> wrote an article about that, about that lawsuit and basically uh, it attributed sort of Machiavellian and nefarious uh, motives to uh, Harry uh, for why he was doing this. Just put him in, a, in quite frankly, a, a bad light that Harry okay. said was inaccurate. And so him being upset over that, he then sued the Daily Mail about their coverage of his lawsuit. He double sued? He double sued. He doubled he dub down. He Dang. doubled down. He double dipped. <laughs> The the reason why I mentioned this one, despite, despite the fact that it is more recent, is because it ties back, I, I teased this out a little before, about the question of privacy, is that mm -hmm. the lawyer's response about uh, the defamation and uh, the defamation situation 
was, uh, you know, mentioned explicitly saying Prince Harry values his privacy. And a lot of, again, like if you go back, Google Prince Harry, Meghan privacy, and you'll see the South Park episode, but you'll see also people who are defending him saying they've never said they wanted privacy. And that's not actually what they're getting at. They're wanting fairness. They're not wanting assault, you know, what they would call, you know, assault on social media and into their, into, uh, I think at least linked to their security. If someone has access to baby Archie or, um, to really intimate details of your life and you are a notable public figure on the world stage as they are, that seems pretty connected to your right. security. Right. And you wouldn't say that that's, you wouldn't say that, that for a lot of other public figures, we wouldn't say that that's an unnecessary or like a wild request, right? right. Like mm -hmm. to have a certain amount of your personal life to be off limits because it endangers you and your family. Right. So, yeah. However, I think a lot of these nuances get a little bit lost when. Yeah you know, they enter the public sphere sure. and so many of the, the jokes being made at their expense is around privacy, right? The whole South Park episode, you know, they take the international privacy tour yeah. and this is like an oxymoron. Like you, they have you, a map of the United States and they're crossing off states of where they haven't gone yet on their privacy tour. Right. right. So, um, so just the, the irony of this is that the more that Megan and Harry sue or litigate, um, the more they do draw attention to themselves, right? And so, Absolutely. you know, what is their best case for taking on these lawsuits and choosing to fight for justice as they see it? I think that it's a, it's a great question, right? The reason that I think if we read what they've said and listen to what they've said, why they are doing this is because they believe they have a, like, this is the fight of their life. You know, they feel the fight of their life is to fight back against the media. And it's impossible to not view that through the lens of Harry's mother's death, the death of Princess Diana being chased into a tunnel uh, by paparazzi flashing cameras on, on motorcycles. But in Harry's mind, it's a battle for justice. You know, it is a, a battle that you would have to imagine as well. Like he, it's, is, does he feel that he's fighting for his mom? You know, that he couldn't fight yeah. for his mom when he was 11 years old in that incident. And then this is his way of fighting for his mom via the surrogate of his wife, who he, you know, feels uh, has always worried about history repeating itself and his wife, you know, being a victim of the press, just like Diana. Yeah. Um, I know one thing that Megan says, at least in the documentary, is that she is seeking peace. Mm. And <laughs> and at the same time, she's also seeking justice. And that is certainly one argument. And they yeah. have made it kind of the, the center of their work these days. Yeah. Not the only thing that they do. They do Not lots the of other thing. philanthropic uh, things and, and, are and are connected to many causes. Um, but it sure is the thrust of uh, their work these days. So um, the counter argument, of course, is are you just feeding the beast? And is this an endless loop? Like, can you ever can, get out of it? Can you win that justice, right? Like, right. can you, is, it's, you know, um, people talk about like living life on life's terms, you know, being an acceptance of reality, you know, like what can you change? What can you control? And what can you control? I think it's fair to say that they think they can win this, that they can win this. Yeah. War. 
um, that they can control this situation. You know, I once had a source to, uh, tell me around the time of uh, a source who was who worked with them intimately uh, that they thought they could ride the fame monster and tame it, and they couldn't. That mm-hmm. they thought they could control the situation when they were, you know, official working members of the royal family, and it got out of their control. And it seems to be that they believe they, you know, if they keep fighting, they can gain control back. Yeah, but they've also lost a lot in this. They talk about, at least Harry says that he thinks that Megan's miscarriage yeah. a couple of years ago was due to the stress that she experienced over in that, that lawsuit in that lawsuit with the Daily Mail, you know, over the leaked letter that she had sent to her father. But there is the question that I think you're getting to, which is just that like, you know, we know the the reality, we all have to accept certain realities about the world. And we have to decide which of those realities we think are untenable, intolerable, that, that are, again, worth the fight, and that fit our desired goal of how we want to live our lives. And which of those do we not fight and find our own way to live with? Yeah. And the one thing I, I will say here, though, is like, it's not for you or me to decide. No, exactly. It's not for us to decide. And, you know, listeners, like you can have your, you know, your own opinions on it. You know, we're trying to help you guys have uh, <laughs> some context around all this. But I think we could say one thing pretty clearly, um, at least I feel confidently in saying this, that I think a lot of their decisions, not saying it's right or wrong, but have been very motivated by emotion. You know, a lot of the decisions that they've made, whether it's about legal battles, whether it's about um, stepping away from the royal family, uh, making a documentary, making a documentary, releasing a memoir, all these things are very, uh, very motivated by uh, coming from an emotional place. Yeah. So, dear listener. Uh, you may have noticed that we've spent pretty much this entire episode talking about Megan and Harry in a season of a podcast that's supposed to be, nominally, about the lead-up to King Charles's coronation. And that is not lost <laughs> on us. And nope. that was also not unintentional. That was very intentional because this is where we're at. This proves the point that I think we are getting at, which is that Meghan and Harry are stealing the thunder from Charles's upcoming coronation. Yep. And you have to imagine that Charles is not happy about that because we have a lot of, uh, you know, history about how he feels about being upstage by, you know, Harry talks about it in his book about Megan, like him, Charles, not feeling great about being upstaged uh, in his mind, maybe by Megan's arrival onto the scene uh, as this gorgeous, glamorous, new, interesting member of the royal family. And also because he was very used to being upstaged by his late wife, uh, Princess Diana. Um, so it's in a situation to where Charles is not grabbing the headlines. And he not only is he not grabbing the headlines, the headlines about the royal family are negative. Yeah. And so it's a twofold issue here. 
And Sean, what do you think Charles would prefer we all lead with? Like, what would he like us talking about right now? I think Charles would like us talking about his philanthropic efforts that he's had over, that he's done over his 70 you know plus years as Prince of Wales, whether that is uh, issues about the environment, you know, which we talked a little bit about before in last episode, but also, for example, he created a, a nonprofit or a, you know, a charitable organization called the Prince's Trust, which provides support to young people who might not otherwise have means to, uh, you know, pursue a life that they would want. You know, the actor David Oyelowo, for example, you know, he received uh, funding. He played Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, among many other much lauded roles, he received funding to go to drama school from the Prince's Trust. And the Prince's Trust is considered by many who are, you know, who know about it, uh, to be an incredibly uh, impactful and a, a positively impactful uh, organization, charity that he that he personally, you know, founded and got the funding for and got off the ground. So he would love for us to talk about that. He would love for, mm. you know, the story to be like David Oyelowo like praises, you know, King Charles, which he did, by the way, in a not so, uh, you know, a not so distant documentary <laughs> yeah. about, about him. But that's not what we're talking about. So at this point, is doing nothing the best choice that Charles can make? Like, can he respond at all to the Meghan and Harry press or all the drama surrounding his family? Or do you just keep calm and carry on? I think you keep calm and carry on and you try. And, you know, I think the best thing he could probably do is uh, one. I mean, if he can, if it's possible, and I don't know that it's physically possible, humanly possible to reconcile with Harry and Meghan, it doesn't, what, what Harry and Meghan want to happen for a reconciliation to happen, uh, to happen and what Charles and William and the rest of the Royal family are willing to do. There's no overlap in that Venn diagram. Mm. Uh, those circles are far apart. So understanding that seemingly being off the table, the best thing you can do is ignore it. And then also maybe try and do whatever he can do to bring attention to what he views as the positive things he has done or positive things he plans to do and hope that his own PR machine can find a way to get that into uh, onto page one. Right. Well, spilling royalty has never been a singing endorsement of really anyone. Anyone. So, um, well, we haven't really provided any of that for Charles or maybe just a, a tad at the end. We have provided a lot of context as to what is going on right now with the entire royal family, whether that be in Montecito, California, or in London. Absolutely, and you know we'll be we'll be giving you uh, giving you all some backstory on Charles and more on those details of what he would want us all to be talking about. But it is impossible, I think, to have the conversation about King Charles's coronation without centering Harry and Meghan at the forefront of uh, of that dialogue. They might be at the forefront of our dialogue. We'll see if they're, if they're at the forefront of that coronation or invited yeah, the, at yeah, all. Yeah, if they're there at all. Yeah, we'll take a look at the seating chart. <laughs> well, Maggie, it's been fun spilling the tea with you and look forward to more next week. Make sure you bring your teacup. Always a pleasure, Sean. Spilling Royalty is a production of the TMZ Audio Network. 
It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Wild Young is our in-studio producer. Make sure you never miss an episode and subscribe or follow Spilling Royalty on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, share it with a friend or someone you know who likes to spill the tea. You can also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing Spilling Royalty on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Sean Mandel. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk next week.